0: Good morning, church. Man, is this the um, nine o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service? (laughs) Let's let's try that one more time. (laughs) Good morning, church. Oh, amen. Now you sound like you've had your coffee. (laughs) This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the church's job description, about the church's job description. If you have a job or you're looking for a job, one of the first things you want to do is review your job descriptions. You want to see what qualifications are required, what education, what experience is required in your job description. You want to find out how much you're making on this job. How can I get a raise on this job? You want to know the churches. Excuse me. You want to know your job description. And it should be no different in the house of the Lord. You should want to know your job description. Amen? Whether you're at a low-paying job or minimum uh, or medium-paying job or high-paying job, you always want to know your job description. So this morning, we're going to look into God's Word, and we're going to discover together, what is our job description for our church this year? What should our church be all about this year? What's our job description? Description. If you open God's Word to Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses sixteen through twenty, and let's take a peep at our job description. Jesus Christ has just been raised from the dead after being there for three days, and now he's meeting his disciples at Galilee. And let's listen in to what he's saying. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had appointed to for them. For some odd reason, we notice in this text, he doesn't review what he's talked about in John chapter 20, when Jesus Christ first appeared to the ten. Of course, Thomas wasn't there, and even with the disciples' excitement about seeing that their Savior has been raised from the dead, Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see him. He showed up at. Again, and Thomas is there, and he said, Thomas, touch my hand. Touch the nail prints on my hand. Touch my side. All the manuscripts say, he even said, touch my feet. And he said, my Lord and my God, because he realized that it was Jesus. Even though Matthew leaves out these details, we know in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, that he tells his disciple later you will meet me in Galilee on this particular mountain. So his disciples are there, and they meet him. And the Bible tells us in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. This is one of these days, at least for me, they should have been glad I'm not Jesus. Because I would have sent all the doubters home. Guys, don't you know I've been dead for three days, and God has raised me from the dead? And some of you are here doubting. I was in Israel this past year in the month of June. And I was able to be in the vicinity of this very conversation here. One thing I discovered while I was there is that some doubted probably because Jesus didn't do a miraculous sign like he did the other times. He didn't just show up behind closed doors. Jesus didn't walk on water in this particular showing. But Jesus just met them on the mountaintop that he predicted that he would meet them on. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. You see, the reason why Jesus doesn't send the doubters away is because sometimes Jesus knows that as you're going, your doubting is worked out. He knows that as you're serving him, your doubting will melt away. He knows if you hang around long enough, your doubting has a way of divorcing itself from you. Why? Because he realizes you will experience his presence and his power. You will experience more than you've ever experienced as you're going. And Jesus speaking of him, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Some of us think Jesus just has the power. But I want you to know that Jesus has the authority, too. Last night, I was watching the Dallas Cowboys and the um, Los Angeles Rams play. And um, something in my eye here. Um, Dallas lost last night. And um, (laughs) I'm at the wrong church for this. (laughs) And what had happened? Something's in my eye. Forgive me for a second here. Yes, Dallas lost last night, and um, what had happened was there were several times. If you noticed the game last night, when, when when the Rams would score, Dallas would do this. The Rams, the Rams didn't pay them any attention. They would just pay attention to those guys who had on the black and white stripes, and when they held their hands up, touchdown. That's who the Rams responded to. You see, Dallas was trying to stop the Rams' power, and they couldn't. But they also was trying to stop the refs' authority, and they couldn't. Because the refs are the only ones on the field with the authority. Even though everybody else was doing this on Dallas's team, the only ones that had the authority were the referees. Excuse me, something is in my eye. <laughs> you know, sometimes in our lives, we think Jesus just has power. But Jesus also has authority. What kind of authority does he have? He has authority in heaven. And he has authority on earth. I got to say that again. He has authority in heaven. But he also has authority on earth. There are some that believe that he was 50% God and 50% man. That would make him a hybrid. Y'all praying with me, aren't you? That, that would make him not really God, he's only 50%, and not really man. He has to be 100% God, and he has to be 100% man to be the God-man, so that his sacrifice would have universal, infinite effect on all mankind, because he didn't die for his sins. He died for our sins. He died for my past sins. He died for my present sins. And he died for my future sins. Some of y'all look at me like, what sin do you have? Don't ask me about my sin. Worry about your sin right now. (laughs) This is the wrong church this morning. (laughs) Some of you have been trying to tell the Lord no in certain areas. But the Lord is the only one that has the authority. This this morning, recognize Jesus Christ as we notice our job description. That all authority has been given to him. Thank God that he doesn't let me have a piece of that authority because it may go to my head. It may get into my heart and it may show up in my hands as abusing people. But thank God that he's the only one that has the authority. Amen. When we get to verse 19, he really gets to the heartbeat of what our job description is, the nexus of what our job description is he says go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations there it is make disciples each one reach one what what's our job description church make disciples how often should we do it make disciples how many do we need to reach make disciples this is our 365, if it's a elite year, 366. This is our 24-hour-a-day job. Our job is to make disciples. You know what? The problem, the reason why a lot of churches are not making disciples is because they have too many Christians and not enough disciples. They have people who like to hang around and associate with Christ but not do any work for Christ. They want people to have the labor of Christ, but they have no power of Christ. He tells us our job description this morning is to make disciples. And, and you say, How often should we do it? That that of that, that there, go, it should be translated going or as you are going, make disciples. No matter where you are, make disciples make disciples of all nations make disciples of all people groups everyone in here is responsible for making disciples it's not just the worship team's job it's not just the pastor's job or those who are on staff or those who serve in the media ministry or those who serve in the children's ministry or the youth ministry or those who serve in other ministries around the church. It's everybody's responsibility. Even if you came to a big church such as this to hide, it's everyone's job in here to make disciples. Your job to make disciples. It's your job to make disciples. It's everyone's job in here to make disciples. You know, as I look at this text, as you're going, make disciples. It's as if the Lord has brought the nations of the world to our front door. I've been on about 25 college visits over the last two years. I have one daughter that's a sophomore in college, another daughter that's on her way to college next year. And I've been going to different, different cities for college visits. I've been to Harvard and been to Yale, been to Emory, been to Georgia Tech, been to Duke. I've been to a lot of colleges. And you know what I noticed? Is that Jesus Christ has brought the nations of the world right to our front door. I was on a train in New York a few weeks ago. And there were so many, I thought they were speaking in tongues. There were so many different languages on there. I said, what in the world? I said, I thought I was in New York. But it sounded like I was overseas because some of us, we're not on mission until we're overseas. And the Lord wants us to know that we should be on mission, starting at our house, starting in our neighborhood, starting on our job. We should be on mission wherever we go. Some of us, we think the gospel is like a pancake where we pour the syrup on the pancake and it just smoothly goes along the side of the pancake. But the gospel is more like a waffle. Because as we reach different people groups, we have to make sure the syrup gets into all the grooves. I'm in the wrong church for this illustration. <laughs> but y'all got to bear with me. I'm going to work with my illustration. Every groove on the waffle. Because as you pour the syrup, it doesn't smoothly go to the ends. Like 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 a pancake, it goes to the ends like a waffle. It, you, have to, you have to put it in every groove. Y'all know the best five-star restaurant in Lexington? It's the Waffle House. Y'all ain't playing with me this morning. Y'all, <laughs> y'all, y'all wrong church. You have to make sure that the cert gets into every groove. Because each people group, each language group, each cultural group has its own way of experience the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if you're in this part of the state, you can't talk junk about Sheely's Barbecue and expect to make it out alive. Y'all ain't praying with me in here. I, I'm in the wrong church for talking like this. Brothers and sisters, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I've been trying to bring down cost at my house lately because with, with two kids in college, I've been trying to bring down the costs. And one of the things I've noticed over the last few months, to bring down costs, I need to keep my wife out of Walmart. Yes. My, my wife must have stock in Walmart because she spends, I started to say all of my money, but it's our money. I don't want to get myself in trouble. She spends all of our money in Walmart. And I said to my wife, what doeth thou this? So I came up with a strategy a few weeks ago. Can I tell y'all what I did? I decided to go to Walmart with her. (laughs) And as we got into Walmart, my wife started talking to everybody. And she put something from every aisle in the cart. And I was trying to be slick and take something out of the cart at every aisle. But I walked through the Walmart with my wife, trying to de-wallmark her. Y'all ain't working with me in here. <laughs> trying to bring our costs down. But by the time we got to the counter, she still managed to have over a thousand things in the buggy. <laughs> At least it felt like a thousand things. Y'all not working with me in here. I'm going to tell my story somewhere else. <laughs> and I saw this line that was only had one person in, and I told my wife, let's get into that line. She said, no, I want to get into this line over here. And I said to my wife, that's a long line. Why can't we get in this line over here? She said, trust me, honey, um, we need to stay in this line. And finally, when we got up, it was time to put our groceries on the belt. My wife started talking to the lady that was ringing us up. She said, I've been praying for you. How's your boyfriend? How are your kids? She said, I've been thinking about you. She said, I've called you a few times, but you hadn't called me back yet. And she started ministering to that young lady. When I got up, the, up to the front to put the stuff on the belt, I was crying because of the thousand things that she... <laughs> Y'all the wrong audience. Y'all stop, stop. But quickly, my tears turned to tears of joy because she wanted to get into the long line in order that she may still keep that connection with that young lady that she's been witnessing to. And when we was done ringing up that $10,000 worth of Walmart stuff, (laughs) my wife gave her a card and she said, I'll be back next week to continue ministering to you. Are you intentional about making disciples, sharing your faith, are you intentional as you are going? Because some of us, some of us are falling into the belief that we can't make disciples unless we go overseas. Some of us we 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 made up in our mind we can't do we can't make disciples unless the church does something formally. But it's each and every one. It's our responsibility to make disciples no matter where we are, whether we're at home, make disciples with our neighbor and make disciples. The presser across the street, make disciples. At work, make disciples. Someone said to me just a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, they said, I can't talk about Jesus at work. I said, you can't? I said, "Um, you can talk about Jesus because you can be Jesus at work. Because there's five gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And guess which one they'll read the most? They'll read you. And somehow you've forgotten that that he called you to be a minister. He called you to be an ambassador. He called you to be an ambassador of reconciliation, no matter where you are, to bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what's your job description? Make disciples of all people groups. Stop eating pancakes and eat waffles. Make sure the syrup gets into every groove. And then he tells us this. Not only should we make disciples... But if you look a little closer at our text he tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not only should we make disciples but how do we do it? We do it by marking disciples. We we need to brand disciples. We need to make sure people know which team that they're on. You know when we Baptized disciples. I'm from a. You can tell by my dialect. I'm from a little small South Carolina city called Dillon, South Lanky, <clears throat> A.K.A. South of the border. If you, know where, if you know where South of the border is, don't tell anybody because there's nothing to brag about. But that's where I'm from, and um, my, my my grandfather had um, cows in Dillon, South Carolina. And my one one season I can remember my granddaddy had this particular cow that he'd been raising. He fattened the cow up. And um he branded him by putting his R on him. I told my granddaddy he was hurting the cow. He said, son, I'm not hurting it. I'm branding the cow, making sure the cow knows where he belongs. When my granddaddy got him full, fully fat, somebody stole his cow. And my granddaddy went and got a shotgun. And he went looking for his cow. And when he found this cow, the guy said, that's not your cow, that's my cow. And my granddaddy said, well, what, what's the R doing on, the, on his rear when your last name starts with a B? And he says, don't know, don't know, but that's my cow. My granddaddy held up his shotgun. He said, now, do we need to call the cops or can we handle this like men? The guy said, it's your cow, it's your cow, it's your cow. Because the cow had been branded. Brothers and sisters, when we're baptized, it should be a public proclamation that we've been branded by the Lord Jesus Christ. That we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was born, 1993... I'm at the wrong church this morning. (laughs) I was born in 1993, 46 years old this year. My father, factory worker at the time, wasn't there when I was born. But he came to the hospital as quickly as he could when he found out that I was in his world, his firstborn son. And uh, when my dad got there, he got to where they kept the babies. And um the nurse said to him, Do you want us to show you which one is your baby? And my dad said, No, I already know which one he is. And the nurse said, Well, how do you know which one is yours? And he looked at the nurse, he said, Look at the head. He's been branded. He has the Rogers look all over him. You know, I used to get so mad when my daddy told that story, but the older I get, the more I can see him in the mirror. Y'all ain't saying that this morning. <laughs> We should be branded with Christ. We're baptizing those that are, that are with Christ. You know, the, you know what the sad thing is? So many people in our church, they are recipients of the church's mission and not responsible for the church's mission. And the way you know you're becoming a disciple is when you move from just being a mere recipient of the mission and you become responsible for the mission. And I'm wondering how many of us sit here this morning. You say, you know what? I hear you, but you know what? That's somebody else's job. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's in your job description. The Bible, according to Ralph Winter, the Bible is not the basis for missions. But missions is the basis of the Bible. When we think about making disciples, Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, according to Hudson Taylor. Any church that's not seriously involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission has forfeited its right to exist, according to Oswald Smith. Brothers and sisters, what about you? We have a job description, and and, and, and and we're responsible for that job description. He, he reminds us here to make disciples. Make disciples of all people, groups, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. According to verse 20, he says this, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. You know, for so many people, they want to teach just a little bit here and a little bit there. But here's what the scripture tells us. Teach all the things that I have commanded you. So what, what has he commanded us? I'm, I'm glad you asked. In the book of Matthew by itself, he introduces himself as king in chapters one, two, three, and 4. In chapters 5, 6, and 7, you have the communication or the inaugural address of the king. He, he preaches things to us like the Beatitudes. A few years ago, I tried to preach the Beatitudes at church. And the, and the more I, I studied the Beatitudes, I just wanted to tear them out of my Bible and, and, and get me a Bible without the Beatitudes. Because I was, I was failing when it comes to the Beatitudes. Or it, it, it tells me about, about the, the, the cultivation of, of the king. You know, the king is, is teaching us about prayer and fasting in the book of Matthew. Matter of fact, he talks about fasting so much until I say, you know what, we can lay off the fasting subject. Y'all ain't praying with me this morning. He tells us about the challenge to the king's authority. He reminds us that we should not judge. We should build our house on the rock instead of on the sand. There's so many lessons that he teaches just in the book of Matthew. And imagine all of the other scriptures that we can put there to say he's been teaching us a whole lot. He taught us that he died, but he rose again. Without power in his hand. He wants us to teach everything that he has commanded us. The problem with some of us as disciples is we don't know nothing. That's why we can't teach nothing. Because we haven't invested in ourselves in getting into God's word. One of my seminary professors said it this way, we like to go to churches to get under God's word but not in God's word. Howard Hendricks said it best. He said, dusty Bible leads to a dirty life. And brothers and sisters, I want to know, have you asked God, Lord, saturate my heart with your word. Thy word have my head in my heart that I might not sin against you. Have you asked God, Lord, speak to my heart as it relates to your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Lord, I want, don't want to be double-minded in my thinking. Lord, speak to my heart when it comes to your word. When I speak, Lord, I pray that they hear less of me and more of you as it relates to your word. A disciple knows his master's voice. He knows his master's will. He knows his master's ways. Lord, help me with this this morning. That I may teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Now, can I tell y'all something that I didn't tell the first service? Just keep this between me and you. Okay, can I tell y'all something? I don't have it all down yet myself. But don't tell them I said it. And the reason why I told you all, because you don't have it all down yourself either. There's always room for improvement to teach them all the things that he has commanded you. And can I tell you one more secret? Let's keep this between me and you. There are some things I know to do that I haven't been practicing yet that God has been bringing to my attention. And the reason why I don't mind telling you is because the Lord is speaking to you as well teaching them to observe all the things in which I've commanded you. We have a job description. Make disciples. We got to mark our disciples. We we have to mature our disciples. Mature them in his word. And he says, "Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. In Matthew chapter 1, He ends the first chapter of Matthew by saying his name should be called Emmanuel, which means God's with us. And he ends the chapter by saying, as I commission you, as I send you off to make disciples, I am with you. I'm present with you. My power is with you. He says, I'll be with you always until the end of the age some of us want his power and his presence while not being obedient to the mission but what he reminds me here I'll be with you if you if you make disciples if you mark them and mature them the health of the church is never predicated upon how many can they seek about your seating capacity in the church, but it's by your ascending capacity as a church. You know, in order to be a healthy church, we need to have the great commandment, love one another, but we also need the great commission. We go and make disciples. You know, for some churches, I've, I've, I've watched them. They have the calm mentality. Calm. But he didn't say come. He said go. Amen. Go. Go and make disciples. I was with a church just a few weeks ago and I was, I was serving as their consultant. And they said, we built a building so we thought they would come. Building a building never dictates that what people will come. We fulfill the church's job description when we go and make disciples so each one reach one and can i tell you one more thing when you reach that one reach another and another teach the one that you've reached how to reach another because the church has a job description and let's get to it let's pray father As we looked over our job description today, Lord, we know we need your help. We need your help to make disciples because some of us are still doubting. Some of us are worshiping. Some of us are between doubt and worship. So help us today, Lord. Help us today be a church that's about making disciples of all people groups. I pray that racism and prejudice never gets into our midst to keep us from being the church you've called us to be. I pray that our preferences doesn't take the place of the Great Commission. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to mark disciples. And not only to mark them, but to mature them, teaching all these things. Now, Lord, before I go take my seat... I just want to publicly apologize for those times that you've nudged me to share the gospel. And I didn't want to do it. Sometimes I didn't want to do it because I didn't like the person that you were sending me to. I had a Jonah spirit. Told me to go to Nineveh. I went to Tarshish. I pray today, those times you've nudged my heart to share. And I was too busy to share. Or too into myself to share. Or too busy into my feelings to share. I pray for Calvary Chapel this year that you take us to a new level, God. A level that, God, that we are all, that each one will reach one for you, God. Fulfilling the great commission that you called us all to, God. And that we won't make it somebody else's responsibility because we've taken this responsibility to heart, God. I pray that when we leave this place today that we won't put this message in file 13. But we'll keep it for the rest of our lives. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray. Amen.